Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 14th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, and joining me from deep in the swamp of Washington, D.C., Ethan Epstein and Jim Swift of the Weekly Standard. Hi. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us. I'm not trying to blame you for the swamp. It just seems like the swamp is getting swampier by the day. Yeah, I mean, we could always rebrand the podcast, The Swamp Only Swampier, which has become a recurring theme. It, it, it is. You know, the, the, the Michael Cohen story actually is one of those where you have to step back and you go, OK, I'm, I'm sorry. Is this is like a mob movie. I mean, it really it really is. The, the guy, he's not a lobbyist. He's not a consultant. He has no expertise or knowledge about any anything. But apparently decided that he was going to cash in. And uh, I, I think the most remarkable thing is the number of companies that, that looked at him and, and said no. I, I guess that's I guess that's the good news. Look, I want to talk about uh, John uh, McCain and, and Donald Trump today, but we, we really should start off by talking about what's happening in Israel uh, today. The United States opens its embassy there, which is obviously an historic moment. But it's an incredibly bloody day there. 37 dead, more than 1,600 1600 wounded. And that's from the preliminary estimates. Uh, uh, Ethan, your your take on on what's happening, uh, the the, the optics appear to be, shall we say, at least complicated? Yeah, I mean, I think this is only going to further kind of tether Israel to a pretty, um, you know, limited ideological segment of the United States, which, you know, which, which I think is kind of an unfortunate development uh, for the country's, you know, long-term prospects. Um, obviously, Hamas, uh, you know, is sort of strategically inviting this violence. But on the other hand, it's led to, you know, not only you know, a terrible number of deaths and injuries, but basically a horrible PR display for Israel on the day that is supposed to be one of celebration. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, for those of us who you know are supporters of Israel, it's it's kind of worrying and it's because it's going to increase sort of the international ostracization of the country, I think. OK, okay now let's just step back. I, I have for years supported the moving of the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem because it's a recognition of reality yeah. on the, the ground. So for those of us that think this was one of the one of the calls that the Trump administration got right, are, you know, how, how, how do you react to, to, to this? Say, OK, was it worth it? Because, of course, the warning was, yes, this is the right thing to do, but it's a very provocative move. Do you really want to risk the kind of a blowback that we're seeing today. So was it worth the blowback we're seeing today? I mean, ultimately, it was probably worth it. And of course, there's something to keep in mind, which is that whether or not the embassy is in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, I mean, frankly, the exist it's the it's the very existence of the Israeli state that Hamas finds so objectionable. And in fact, going further than that, it's the very existence of the Jewish people anywhere in the world that Hamas finds so so objectionable. So yes, it has invited this escalation, this this these quote unquote protests, which have now resulted in all these deaths, which, you know, looks again, very bad. But, you know, the fundamental problem here is the ideological outlook of Hamas. And, I, you know, moving the embassy had no, not one iota of difference on that. There, there are folks who are, are saying that it, it's, it's unfair to characterize these as Palestinian protests, because really what this is, is it, it was a terrorist attack. Uh, you know, I saw some uh, some reports saying what they do is that you you send the civilian waves, the human shields, uh, you know, up against the up against the barriers, and and, and then you bring in people who would, uh, you you bring in you bring in the fighters. So um, to a to a certain extent, did did Israel have any uh, choice other than to respond the way they did today? Uh, probably not. And you know, this is the way Hamas has always operated. I mean, we know 
that their strategy to gain international uh, sympathy and international support is by using human shields. I mean, it's the same trick Saddam Hussein pulled uh, when he was misruling Iraq as well. I mean, it's it's you put your own civilians in harm way in harm's way uh, to make the quote unquote aggressor look bad. I mean, it's it's a morally disgusting uh, approach to things. But I, you know, just looking at the the situation objectively, clearly uh, to a certain extent, Hamas's PR strategy is working because again, the headlines today yeah. are going to be. It, however many killed. It reminds me of a movie with Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel L. Jackson called Rules of Engagement. Any of you guys ever seen that? No. Yeah. Yeah. Long time it, ago. It, it's, it's a very complicated movie about a ambassador in some Middle Eastern country at a U.S. embassy that needs to be evacuated and the Marines land on the roof. There are people with guns. They're shooting at the embassy. You know, the ambassador is fearing for his life and... Um, the Marines make the you know controversial decision that you know there's a group of people innocence there, but they're also with armed people that are assaulting this embassy, and they shoot and they shoot back and people die. And of course, the U.S. Uh, U.S. government ends up you know inventing a conspiracy to like throw the Marines under the bus, and the whole whole thing about that. But what what, what do you do when there's a large group of people kind of bum rushing you? I mean, if if sixteen hundred you know folks came to a U.S. border checkpoint and overran it, would we would we start shooting people? I don't know. But we don't have to deal with that every day like Israel does. Uh, so, you know, it will be interesting to see um, because I, I, don't, I don't think that we're going to get a lot of unspun reaction from either side yeah. of, of this very complex and tragic loss of life. Okay. Now, there's, there's another footnote here, and I don't know whether that's that's unfair to characterize it as a footnote. It's the selection of the ministers to uh, give the, the embassy prayer in, in Jerusalem. Uh, Mitt Romney yesterday um, said that one of the, the, the ministers chosen, this prominent Baptist minister, uh, Robert uh, Jeffress, uh, shouldn't be giving the prayer that opens the embassy because he's a religious bigot. Uh, this uh, Jeffress has made remarks about Jews, Mormons, Islam. He said, you can't be saved by a Jew. Mormonism is a heresy from the pit of hell. Pretty much said the same thing about Islam. Uh, the other One of the other ministers is is Hage, is Hagee, who uh, made some very controversial comments back in the 2008 presidential race that resulted in um, John McCain at that time repudiating him, and then Hagee withdrawing his, uh, his endorsement of, of John McCain. Uh, why... Your, your your thoughts on the selection of these two figures, given the moral universe out there, the, the religious universe out there that that the State Department, the Trump administration could have chosen from? Why these guys? It's amateur hour. I mean, if you're opening up an embassy in, in Israel, you, you should have a rabbi. I mean, it, it seems pretty... Or, or at least a Christian minister that doesn't go around <laughs> slandering the Jews. I mean, it's totally bizarre. Yeah, and Je- Jeffress, I mean, he said as a Catholic, I mean, he, he, he's insinuated that my church was uh, a tool of Satan or founded by Satan or something. Um, Jeffress is also on record as saying that God gave President Trump, quote, the authority to take out Kim Jong-un um, and, and many other sorts of things. You know, but, but it's the politiz- politization of pastors. Um, yeah, these guys are, quote unquote, our Jeremiah Wright in a way. Yeah, you know? yeah. Trumpism corrupts and, you know, basically every uh, evangelical, because there aren't many Catholic pastors out there um, defending and, you know, stumping for Trump and making, you know, uh, bastardizing their faith to, to defend the, their leader. Um, but it, all of these all of these folks, and this goes back to JVL's uh, Jonathan Last's theory, Trumpism corrupts. They all bend over backwards uh, to, to show fealty to pre- president. 
President Trump. Okay, well, let, let's talk about something that the, the Trump administration is doing that looks like it's working or potentially working. Uh, Ethan, I know you've written extensively about this. The The North Korean summit is actually not only on track, it is on a fast track. So just give me your sense of where we are. Um, over the weekend, uh, the uh, new Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, said, uh, we're going into this with our eyes open. But there are also reports that Donald Trump is basically banking on this in order to survive in the midterm elections. And, of course, the, the the more invested he is in success, the more unlikely he is to walk away, which is complicated in itself. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, as sort of the experience of the Iran deal uh, showed to us, you need to be willing to walk away. Otherwise, the other side can take you. You know, if the other side knows that you're desperate for a deal, you, the terms that you end up with are not going to be very good. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I do think it's obvious that the president wants wants something to come out of this. My guess, and it's just a guess, and there have been surprising uh, uh, things in this whole situation with Korea uh, this this year, is that they'll they'll walk away with sort of a broad statement of principles like the, uh, the North and the South did uh, in April. I don't will. they have to blow things up? I mean, don't they have to in order for they're talking about the denuclearization yeah. of the peninsula? My guess is this is going to be the beginning of a very, very, very long process. I mean, I, if denuclearization as the ultimate stated goal, and that means a lot of things could go wrong along the way. But I do think they will come to some sort of broad statement uh, saying that denuclearization is the ultimate goal. It, it's anybody's guess whether that ends up happening, of course. I will say, though, that, uh, you know, the the president's um, I, I do credit, and it's not just me. I'm not just sort of talking out of a, an orifice here, but I've I've talked to a lot of sources, including in uh, Asian governments, that that sort of know of what they speak more than more than uh, many in twi- on Twitter, and and they do credit maximum pressure, and they do credit. Um, the the supposedly loose talk, but perhaps it wasn't really loose talk, where where Trump intimated that he might strike North Korea last summer uh, with, with bringing Kim to the table. So, uh, you know, uh, the, that approach does appear to have changed Kim Jong Un's calculus. It, cl- it clearly does. On the on the other hand, there are also, uh, also folks who are just concerned that that he's playing Donald Trump. You know, the 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 over the top gratitude. That Trump expressed over the release of the three hostages. I mean, well, that's why you take hostages so that you can release them. It's it's. But we've um, seen this before. I mean, the president, you know, flattered Xi Jinping when he wanted something from Xi Jinping. I also think that's what's going on with ZTE. But we, you know, I don't know if we need to well, get wanna, into I wanna, that. I want to get into yep. that. Okay, speaking of confusing things over the weekend, the president uh, of uh, of the United States, uh, who has pledged to make America first puts out a tweet saying we're going to work hard to save Chinese jobs uh, that had been put at risk by uh, sanctions against this Chinese uh, this Chinese telecommunications company ZTE. What, so what is actually going on there? This, this is a company that, that was shut down by uh, the – well, at least in the United States, was shut down by U.S. officials who were concerned that it was uh, posing a threat to national security, correct? Yes. So so what happened is the ZTE, which is not a piddling manufacturer – I mean it was one – I think either the fourth or the, f- the fifth largest manufacturer of smartphones in the world. It's a big company, had lar- quite a large market share in China as well, but it was trying to get into the U.S., and because of um, sanctions violations, it had done business with North Korea, it had done business with Iran, and also just broader concerns about what its role in Chinese statecraft were. It basically got shut out of the U.S. market, which then really hurt its business prospects. And actually, the company uh, announced it was going to shut down. And by the way, this action predates Trump. It started under the Obama administration. Now, I, I mean, I think this looks to me like another example of the president 
trying to use leverage to get something out of the Chinese. Um, uh, you know, so basically we put a, put one of their biggest companies out of business and then Trump kind of opens the door. You know, maybe we can help you out if now we didn't say the if in the tweet, but I guarantee you there's a lot of if going on, uh, you know, behind the scenes or sort of sotto voce. And I, I assume that has to do with maybe some trade concessions and also, of course, uh, the North Korea situation. So I think it's, you know, it, this all goes back to. Donald Trump's, and I'm putting Donald Trump in quotations here, uh, Tony Schwartz's book, The Art of the Deal, where he talks about his his theory of negotiation. You have to amass the most leverage possible before you go into a negotiation. And and basically putting one of your largest companies out of business is, is a pretty strong form of leverage, especially because, you know, Xi Jinping, yes, he's a dictator, but he's also sensitive to, to public opinion in China. And it looks bad when national champion companies shudder. And of course, as you pointed out, the the you know eight dimensional chess here that that this is at the moment when you want China to be on your side right. with the North Korean negotiations. But there was a little bit of cognitive dissonance where the president uh, with with the president being concerned about Chinese jobs. There was a lot of folks, of course, on Twitter who was speculating about what would Republicans be saying if President Hillary Clinton had put out a tweet talking about the need to save Chinese jobs. But of course, that's uh, that's an alternative universe. All right, let's talk about uh, this John McCain story. I, I have a piece up of the Weekly Standard, so I'm slightly obsessed with this. Jim, one of the things that I still I find extraordinary is the way in which a crass quip has become a five or six day story when it could have been shut down by a simple, normal, expected, easy apology. Had had uh, was her name Karen Sadler? I should have it in front of me, but um, if she had just come out Kelly and Sadler. made an apology, yeah. this thing would have been a blip. But it seems to be going on. You know, I understand that in Trump world, you never apologize ever, but this seems to be so self-inflicted. It's such a self-inflicted injury. Oh, it is. And I believe Kelly Sadler did try Kelly. reaching out to uh, Megan McCain, Senator McCain's daughter, uh, you know, who you know is on The View. And according to what I, I read third hand, that that apology call did not go well. Um, I mean, because the, the McCains do not like the Trumps. I mean, we talked about this on a previous podcast about, you know, is, is McCain conservatism or people like that? Uh, is that a dying breed of, of, of a strain of conservatism? And you know, there's a whole funeral aspect of everything. But I, I, what I find interesting about this is that the man who made your fired his tagline can't seem to fire anyone. And it could just be that in in this White House, as Ethan points out, they don't apologize. It's it's a it's a hallmark of how they conduct business. But on the other hand, I mean, Donald Trump got his campaign really. It was that was his first major gaffe was insulting John McCain and Steve Hayes, our editor, was was there in Iowa when that happened and challenged him on that. And he was unapologetic about them that then. So why would they be apologetic about it now? But of course, you know, to some on the right, that the real big scandal is the leak. You know, I mean, right. They, <laughs> That's where I was going to go on that next. It's clear that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is is much more concerned about the leak. Then she is about the the mockery of this dying American hero, and of course on cue, uh, many of her, you know the the fluff, the fluffers in the in the conservative media have taken that up as as well. So let's talk about that. You know what what is more outrageous, the fact that people are joking about John McCain dying, or the fact that somebody was apparently so appalled by that that they leaked it out. I I think what's the most appalling is the people on the right who think that the the real evil people in all of this are the media. Like the the media are the monsters for reporting on the fact 
that a, a senior White House aide, um, and of course Mercedes Schlapp had her back. Uh, I believe that yeah. their their husbands did lobbying work together, and there's that there's that tie. So you know, after all of this, well, ends, the Schlapps are really on a roll. You know, I mean, these <laughs> yeah. are the folks who uh, very ostentatiously walked out of the correspondence dinner because of the tastelessness of the you know comedian jokes. But uh, she she's apparently in this closed door meeting saying, just for the record, you know, I have Kelly Sadler's back. Yeah, they're, just they're, sort of, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm I am I am with her. It's it's not uh, tasteless, Charlie, if, if they're your friends and lobbying former lobbying partners. Apparently. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that that is just sort of how uh, an indicator of how gravity has become so unmoored with the, you know, I guess, historic political gravity that right now. The right people on aspects of the uh, the right in journalism and, and opinion writing are, are are fighting about the media being the baddies. I mean that 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 is that is I, I think even almost as despicable as as Kelly Sadler's remarks. My uh, my favorite story over the weekend, of course, was the was the uh, reports about the, the closed door meeting in which uh, you know Sarah Sarah Sanders you know starts off by you know, uh, angrily and tearfully denouncing the leak and saying, well, this will probably leak as well. And then it does leak. So, so the meeting about <laughs> leaks also <laughs> yeah. leaks. And then it was Jonathan Swan had the piece in Axios where he, he uh, talked about, talk to White House aides, why do you leak? And then they explain why they leak basically to kind of to cover themselves, you know, self-defense. And that, that some of them consciously use the sort of language that somebody else would uh, use to to cover their tracks. I mean, this is it, it is so it is so bizarre. It's like Joy, Joy Reid's hacker strikes again. I mean, you, you can write in someone else's voice with amazing facility. It's incredible. <laughs> no, it's this is this is one of those moments where you just you keep shaking your head because there are serious things happening in the world. But I guess the 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 lack of an apology, and I suppose it's obvious to say that the tone is set from from the from the top in in, in the Trump White House. But this is one of those fights that it's you know that Donald Trump has survived in the in the past. But you know that it's not going to end well. You know that it's simply going to get worse. The contrast between John McCain, not just as a political figure but as a man, and Donald Trump is not one that the Trumpists should be encouraging people to make. You, you know, know it, you know when you, when you talk about what John McCain endured for five and a half years in a Vietnamese prison versus um you know donald trump who was you know the rich rich kid who was partying so hot you know hard uh, that his personal vietnam was was not getting the clap <laughs> yeah well you know charlie why, why do leakers leak and you know we i think we've talked about this on, on the podcast a number of times i think the main theory that the, the the people who leak are leaking is because they care about the respect of their peers and they're thinking about their next steps. What am I going to do after this? You know, whether I stay to the end of the Trump administration or if I leave early, can I get another job elsewhere? And they're, you know, they were obviously taken by the Sadler remark, and they wanted uh, to, you know, go after her for for making such a reprehensible comment. But I think that they're mistaken in that there's going to be a lot of life after Trump for senior people. You all you need to do is look at uh, Sean Spicer. Press secretaries get these plum gigs. And, you know, on one hand, we're we're rightly criticizing uh, Michael Cohen for going around like a mafia guy to Uber and being like, you know, I am the president's lawyer. But on the other hand, like Jay Carney and. Uh, previous uh, White House press secretaries going to get these really plum gigs on the boards of publicly traded companies uh, that you know will will dwarf whatever they made. And yeah, uh, is it Robert Gibbs working for McDonald's? I mean, yeah, yes, yeah. 
but Sean okay, Spicer but can't. He can't get anything. Trump. Is, is Sean is Sean is Sean Spicer is he on the Boeing board of directors yet? No, and he, I, I believe that. he's a uh, he's a Harvard academic now. In fact, <laughs> yeah, which is even more preposterous. Yeah, but it, 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 his inability to get one of these plum gigs, I think, is indicative of what we're going to see. That it, Trump reaps what Trump sowed, and we have weaponized and changed the the political reality uh, permanently. And the people that are woke and are going after Trump right now, they will go and they will, you know, you see what they do to a Fox News anchor when they make some stupid remark and they get the advertisers on their show. Any of these senior people, if they want to go to someplace that it's not the NRA, that's not the Coke Industries or Dick Uline or one of these, you know, right wing businesses, we're going to see this play on forever. It's, it's something you will always wear because the politicized People who live the politicized life are never going to let this down. And I guess it's a question of how senior do you have to be to be a, a, a permanent victim of this? Well, we're going to have to – we will find out at, at some point, although I think you're probably right in this. Okay, this is a breaking story, and uh, maybe we haven't fully processed it. But major U.S. Supreme Court decision saying that states can, in fact, legalize sports betting. Um, in, in terms of something that's actually going to change a lot of people's um, – uh, weekends. Th- this this seems this this seems to be a a big victory. Uh, you know, depending on how you look at it, uh, for the folks uh, folks that would like to see uh, more sports betting around the country. This is of course the the New Jersey case. I'm not surprised by the ruling, but uh, it, it's a big deal. So, do you think they made the right decision? Anybody got an opinion on this? Anybody I, want to lay some odds on this? I, <laughs> I I think it was trending this way. Um, yeah. the, the prohibition on it. I mean. Uh, New Jersey and Nevada, of course, are, are big beneficiaries, but you'll probably see this crop up in most states. Um, it's it's bad for the lottery. I mean, not that the, you know, the lottery doesn't have its faults and problems, but you know, education funding does come from lottery revenues. I mean, it's not the sole oh, drive. And, and Indian casinos. <laughs> yes, um, but. It, People are going to gamble across state lines, and they're going to go where they find the best deal. Um, Bill McMorris of the Washington Free Beacon, uh, who you should all follow on Twitter, he's a nice, nice guy. He he tweeted, "quote If I had a sports book, I'd call it the 529 Fund, so that wives would think gamblers were setting up college funds for their kids." Noting, of course, that this was the That's most good. most evil idea he's ever had, and it's like you know a bar called the Library. <laughs> I, you know, I I think this is. We're, we're, we're sort of past whether or not gambling is, is a vice or not. Yes, it is. The question, of course, is whether or not the, the government should should regulate all of this. But, or, or, you know, or, in fact, profit on what is, in fact, like a human week. I mean, I, I'm yes. I'm quite ambivalent about whether the government should be involved in preying on the, you know, the most desperate among us by not only legalizing gambling, but running things like lotteries. Exactly. Uh, and I also think this just shows the, the political class has a problem of lacking the courage of its conviction. So they, they, they're too afraid to raise taxes. I mean, even in the bluest of states, Massachusetts is introducing casino gambling because, you know, they're, they're too afraid to raise taxes. So instead, they're going to legalize gambling instead, which to me doesn't really seem like the, uh, the most ethical course of action. No. And, and the, the politics is going to be interesting in states like Wisconsin, because you, first of all, you, you have the state itself engaging in gambling with the lottery. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you have these these monopolies that are granted to various Indian tribes to run yep. their own casinos. So we have casinos, we have gambling on these reservations, you know, quote-unquote reservations, because they can, in downtown Milwaukee, there's a big Potawatomi casino. But your mom-and-pop uh, tavern out in Peshtigo is not allowed to do this in theory. So you yeah. do actually, and, and this has always been a little bit of a strain. So if, in fact, there is a push... 
to legalize sports gambling, the leading opponents, and they have tremendous political clout, will, of course, be the tribal casinos. Absolutely. I've, I've written I've written a lot about... This really poses an existential threat to them. I've written a lot about uh, Indian gaming for the Weekly Standard. It's a, it's a scintillating topic um, that we, we worked a lot on in Senator Kyle's office. And I remember the Menominee tribe, and there was also a unionization issue uh, with Scott Walker um, with that. And you know, you're also seeing the growth of, of mega tribes. I mean, I, I get not wanting to put a, high sc- uh, a casino next to a high school. That, that makes sense. That's a local prerogative. But you're, you're seeing that these tribes are buying land that is nowhere near their actual uh, reservation, and they're converting it um, through uh, the BLM uh, to, to, to land where it could then have a casino. Because they can't just go buy a parcel of land and set up a casino. You have to you know, work it out with the government to, to make it tribal land. But uh, we're seeing these mega tribes, though, like the Seminole tribe in Florida owns Hard Rock. And most people don't realize that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, basically an Indian tribe in Florida owns probably outside of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the largest, you know, amount of artifacts of, of rock and roll history. But, you know, the Hard Rock, the Hard Rock Cafe uh, and casinos are, are growing big time. Uh, so, I mean, they are also would be well situated to to capitalize on it because you can't just set up a sports betting operation overnight. So it'll be good for them short term, bad long, probably bad long term. Well, you know, I, I, I probably am going to antagonize somebody by saying this. It, the, every time I have been to one of the casinos in, well, particularly the casino here in, in, in Milwaukee run by the Potawatomi, I mean, I have a lot of friends who work with the Potawatomi, you know, but every time I go in there, it, 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 it is it's a profoundly depressing experience, and I'm not making a policy thing. It's just that as you watch the people walking in and walking out, you realize that these are the people who can least afford yes. to to gamble with their social security checks, with their disability payments. It really does. You want to talk about a regressive tax. This exactly. Is not, this is not an upscale audience. These are not people who you know are – are, are, are betting the you know the the money they got from their dividends from right. their Apple stock. Now this may be different in, at, at different casinos. It may be different in 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 Vegas or maybe different in Atlantic City. But in barely though, these, you really do see the and and it, it is it is frankly it's kind of it's kind of unnerving to realize you this is what we have. We have done, but it's out there. It, and and Char- it, it is a reality. And Charlie, that's why the aesthetic of casinos is so sort of dishonest, too. You know, they, they, there's this sort of plastic luxury that, that is placed on them. Uh, because, And the reason for that, of course, is that they're masking a profoundly down market and depressing little racket. Well, you know, this is what you have, have this is what happens in, uh, in in Biff's America. Yeah, you know, we, have, we have a we have a president who, in fact, is you know owns casinos. Of course, this has absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump. He has nothing to do with this with this decision in any way whatsoever. Uh, but thank you for joining me today. I really really appreciate this on a Monday. It's a gloomy Monday here, kind of gloomy out there. Um, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow. <laughs>